0: Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation, and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Well, welcome to You Wanted a Hit? We are very thrilled to welcome a special guest to the show today. As you all know, sometimes we have guests, sometimes we don't. I think it's more fun when we do. And today, we are excited to have writer, podcaster, TV and radio host, and editor-at-large for Esquire, Dave Holmes, Dave, thanks for being here. Thank
1: you so much for having me. What a did, I, did
0: I any, uh, Did I miss any occupations there?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm doing a bajillion things at any given time, but you have the, you have the important <laughs> ones. Uh, so thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned uh, that I had discovered Dave's wonderful podcast, Waiting for Impact, and... I think I just saw a friend tweet about it and, uh, it was, it was just, uh, blew my mind. One of my favorite podcasts last few years. So I thought, you know, maybe we should see if Dave wants to chat with us about an unlikely hit.
1: Awesome! I'm so glad you reached out and I'm very glad you listened. Thank you very much for the kind words and for, uh, for listening.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks thanks for making it. I, I I had so much fun listening to it. Uh and I've been
1: I've been evangelizing for a while. Oh, good. Good. Thank <laughs> you very much. I really appreciate it. And and like, you know, there there's a lot that is, you know, unstable in in this entertainment world right now. There is a lot in 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 every, you know, field uh right mm-hmm. now. It's uh things are insane, but you know, we live in a in a time when I can do a thing like that, you know, when I can like run yeah. that idea past somebody and have them not throw me out of their office, <laughs> um, and so yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm really happy I got a chance to do that show. It's just, I'm, I'm proud of it and I'm glad. There, you there's
0: it. there's uh, there's space and ability to do the weird things we want to do, which is
1: that's which is right. fun. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not as much time for trips to the bank, but that's <laughs> that's fine. Right. We'll figure that out.
0: Before we diverge into other things, yeah, I'm gonna play a clip from the song that we're about to discuss.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. Oh, oh yes. yes, let's go. Oh my goodness, what a jam. Well, what I a mean, jam. now we know what it is. Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> my oh wow! You know what? I should, I should I really have the, the, the video. i just playing silently. Separate window. But you stay so great. Cool. Great. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh. Who who could? Yeah.
0: <laughs> we will watch it together uh later on in the episode. I'm glad to hear you're both excited about this. Yeah. Oh God, I've been yeah. I love it. I have a spreadsheet of over two hundred songs I want to talk about and it continues to grow. And this one just—I—I I hadn't found the right moment, and then I don't know—it just—it just clicked that I thought this group would be fun to talk about this song with. So now
1: I will tell you—I just saw Matchbox Twenty at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh wow! Maybe a month ago. Was that on the uh,
0: fastball? Fastball tour?
1: No, it was. Just, it was. Just, really? uh, I actually, know what, it might have been. We just um, talked
0: about uh, The Way a couple episodes ago.
1: What a what a great song. I love great that band song. so, so much. Um, and I, I also like Matchbox 20 a lot. And we hadn't gotten tickets, but a friend called at the very last minute and was like, come sit in our box at the bowl. And so we did. And we missed the opening act. So I guess it could have been Fastball, but, um, but it was such a great show. Um, That's good know, to hear. I had, yeah, absolutely. I had forgotten how many songs of theirs I loved, but you know, at a Matchbox Twenty show, you do not get smooth. No, that's true. You don't. <laughs> no, because that is that is Rob Thomas. <laughs> no, no, that is they that bring is, out a DJ. <laughs> yeah, that's Rob Thomas without the boys. So it is. But so. they, I'm telling you, they put on just such that, a good show.
0: Such a good show. That's great to hear. Yeah, I have to admit that I I did not grow up a Matchbox Twenty fan. That's just a no. band that didn't didn't. I didn't click with, yeah. I didn't dislike him. I didn't click with him. And in this story, I gained so much respect for Rob Thomas. Yeah, um he's a cool guy.
1: He is he's, a really, he's a really, he's cool, a really cool dude. Guy. He's and a his really his
0: cool story guy. is is
1: phenomenal. Yeah, and Rob Thomas, I will say, was my like was my only rock star friend when I was at MTV. I I didn't <laughs> like. I did not. You know, the artists that we were playing were either children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or like you know, people like, you know, Limp Biscuit and Kid Rock and stuff like that, and guys that didn't right. really vibe. You were not hanging out with Fred Durst um, on your on your Saturday. I was not hanging out with Fred Durst. <laughs> no, I really, I really was not. And and like, and I, you know, probably better off. Yeah, I for think it. so. I think so. And <laughs> like, um, and you know, and and Rob was, you know, very humble, and he too didn't really feel like he belonged in the world of like pop music that makes sense yeah so we after what i've read yeah, yeah. so we 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 clicked. Yeah. we yeah we hung out a little bit went to his wedding that's great lovely felt oh, oh wow yeah sure yes, that's phenomenal. yes. i love that yeah. yeah
0: well that comes up in the story too okay. so this is this is perfect okay. i you know we've we've had some folks where we pick a song and it's you know it's like yeah i know a little bit about this and those are really fun yeah and then we've had some where uh you know they're they are very familiar. And I think that's even more fun. So. Yeah.
2: Well, we've never had uh, I went to their wedding. So
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, we and, and I don't, don't like I one. I don't have a lot of stuff like that to drop. So I'm I'm very yeah. happy to, <laughs> to be able to do that. Well, Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm sure you're familiar.
0: Yes. He is a guitarist originally from Jalisco, Mexico. He's now based in San Francisco, where he's lived since he was a teenager. He's played guitar since he was eight years old. After being encouraged by his father who played in a mariachi band, after busking and sitting in a band as a youth, Carlos started his own blues band in high school which eventually became Santana. Though keep in mind Santana's only original member for decades has been Carlos. It's been a revolving door which makes me think that Carlos has an airtight key man clause <laughs> <laughs> which those have come up a few times on this podcast. Um in 1969 the band signed to Columbia Records. The band's debut album, teed up by their performance at Woodstock, was a huge success, hitting number four on the Billboard album chart. As the band continued on to their subsequent albums in the 70s, Carlos was moving in a more jazzy, ethereal, spiritual direction, both musically and personally. Unlike many of his peers who were moving toward hard rock or soft rock. This is evident on their 1970 album, Abraxas, one of the band's most enduring classics.
1: Sure. It's a classic. Sure. A classic rock radio station staple. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun song. Yeah. It also sounds like uh, me when I find out uh, Friends in Town. Oh, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) All three of us drank at
0: the same time there. I know. That was really impressive. I love you. You
1: guys are both on the East Coast. I'm having a hop water, which is sort of a, a thing, a oh. thing with a faint taste of beer. Um, yeah, but I love those Ashwagandha or whatever k- kind of thing is supposed to be good for your brain <laughs> or whatever.
0: Uh, Sierra Nevada makes a hop water that is Ooh, excellent. Okay. Yeah, no hops, no carbs, no alcohol. It's just like it's like drinking a Lacroix, but mm-hmm. um, has that little cool flavor. You know, I'm sitting out back, cooler. but don't feel like having a beer. It's great. Mm-hmm. Great. What a world. what a time. Hop splash. That's That is their Mm, hot water. So keep a lookout, folks. All right. Sorry, I've just got smooth on the brain, of course. (laughs) That's all I've got. Smooth pushes everything out. It really does. Yeah. Well, shortly after this, Carlos played on Miles Davis' 1970 iconoclastic experimental jazz record, Bitches Brew. And he continued to move in a more jazz fusion direction, resulting in a series of lineup changes in Santana, including Greg Rowley and Neil Schoen leaving to form Journey. Mm -hmm. This was also to the chagrin of CBS Records executive Clive Davis, who said the band was sabotaging its own career. There was so much turmoil and uncertainty with the band at this point that famed Rolling Stone writer and editor Ben Fong Torres wrote a cover story in 72 titled The Resurrection of Carlos Santana. Throughout the 70s. Carlos would experiment even more with avant-garde music, including free jazz and Eastern Indian music. His career was continually celebrated by both critics and music fans. The early 80s saw Santana, the band, getting back to its rock and roll and Latin rock roots, which meant more radio-friendly music all around for Santana. They released albums at a rapid pace, as they did in the 70s, and were appeasing their record company for the time being. During this period, however, Carlos was collaborating with everyone he found interesting in jazz, world music, jam music, blues, country, and more. He hadn't put out a top 40 record since his 1983 album Havana, and he and Columbia parted ways in 1990. And here we are at the 90s. Here comes grunge and hip-hop and pop rock and new metal and arena country and boy bands and pop punk. It's a tough time for someone like Santana in the pop landscape. Uh, They were now signed to Polygram, but they weren't recording much music. They were still touring consistently to their cult fan base, but flying dangerously close to nostalgia status. Though I will point out that they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, the prior year. So they were already, that, that was already a feather in their cap. 1992's Milagro, which peaked at number 102 on the Billboard Top 200, was Santana's last album of the 90s. Imagine Santana has a new album and it only gets to number 102 that is until 1999 so i'm going to start this chapter in 1997 i must say i used a number of sources but there is an oral history of smooth that was published in rolling stone edited by david brown that i read in 1999 for the 20th anniversary when it came out and that's that's what made me think of this even even before we'd started this podcast i was like i remember reading that the story's incredible so i used that Quite a bit for this. I used uh, many sources, but that provided so much information because they they talked to anyone who, and everyone who was involved. So it's July ninety seven. Santana's playing Radio City Music Hall, and Carlos decides to invite his old, complicated friend, Clive Davis. Remember, Carlos and Clive not getting along in the seventies because Clive thought Santana was sabotaging its own career when they were at their creative peak. So this is a peculiar situation
2: like clive would hold a grudge too seems like a, a guy that he seems like the nicest guy in the world but i feel like if you yeah. if you wronged him
1: he'd remember it. yeah mogul he's, yeah you know, yeah you don't, totally you don't become yeah. powerful in this industry without yeah. being a little bit ruthless
0: in everything i read he's he he kind of talks like he and santana are lifelong friends and he you know loves and respects him so much and then carlos carlos is like I love him. I respect him. We didn't talk for like 30 years. <laughs> so yeah. there's like a couple of different, um, kind of different vibes going there. Um, Clive was now running Sony records and he accepted the invitation of the show. It turns out this was all part of a plan hatched by Carlos's wife and kids. They were in the car listening to the radio and some classic rock and soul artists. Newer songs had been played. And the kids asked why they don't really hear their dad on the radio anymore. And Carlos attempted to explain, and then the kids and their mom were asking him, well, who were you working with when you were on the radio a lot? His kids were teenagers, so they were asking lots of questions. And he said, Uh, Clive Davis. That was the first person he thought of. Uh, we haven't talked in many years. And the whole family said, Carlos, you got to get in touch with Clive Davis. So that's how Clive ended up at Radio City Music Hall this night. You know, behind every great man is a great woman, they say. And, and a, a couple of teenagers.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and a couple of chattering teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Who want to brag uh, to their friends.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he did indeed ask Clive if they could work together that night at Radio City. Clive was blown away by the show and was thinking during the show, before this conversation even happened, how fun it was seeing this diverse band as far as, I mean, diverse in every way. And he said the audience was the same way. And he was also thinking about how the Latinx communities were growing rapidly in the US. And he could see Santana having a big comeback with the right record. And he knew that they had a lot of work to do. So they agree to work together. And Clive's, well, Clive and Carlos agree to work together. And Clive's plan is to take some of Carlos's songs he'd already written for this record he's working on, but also bring some songs and songwriters that Clive thought were great and combine the two. PolyGram begged Carlos to stay on the label but he refused and he was released from his contract. So Clive signed Carlos to his Arista imprint and didn't tell anyone else at the company. He told them in a meeting and the label staff was stunned so much that they started referring to Santana as Davis's folly.
1: Oh, I like it.
0: Yeah. They, uh, they did not think
2: this was a good idea. I mean, to be fair, I probably feel the same way at the time in that
1: room. But this is also let me let me just say this though this is also this is kind of the peak of CDs being in like Starbucks, yeah, right? mm-hmm. or like or uh, you know at the like near the gum at Target <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. like it was it yeah. was like they're, high they're, they're music lost leaders. You, Right. Yeah. yeah. Mean, make a bajillion dollars, um, you know, and like pr- print a bajillion copies of mm-hmm. uh, of an album. So like if you could get something that was like um that could get played on the radio but that also was attractive to older people, you could get them to buy CDs at weird spots. <laughs> yeah. Which to me I, I don't know this, but that it always felt like this album always felt to me like uh Clive Davis trying to get a Carlos Antenna into Starbucks. <laughs> which I think I, it did. That oh yeah! Sense.
0: Oh, absolutely!
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely think it did, and and yeah, it
0: was a time that we've you know anytime a '90s song comes up that we talk about because they're all somehow unlikely or strange or bizarre. Yeah. Um, a lot of it comes down to they, they. This was the peak of the industry when they had money to throw at stuff and just see if it works. Yeah. um Yeah. yeah. Pete Ganberg was the in the AR department, and he remembered reading that John Popper of Blues Traveler, who's very hot at the time, was a big Santana fan. And Pete started searching for contemporary artists who had mentioned they were influenced by or fans of Sant- Santana to see if they could find some cool collaborators. John Popper never panned out. I don't know if he said yes or they never got a hold of him. But their next call was Wyclef John, who had just released his first post-Fuji solo album, The Carnival, in 97, a record so that good. I could say might so have changed good. my life. That record blew my mind. Um, and the album was a critical cultural phenomenon. And when Wyclef said yes, Pete knew they were on to something. Clive, Carlos, and company got to work on Santana's 18th studio album in late 97. When 99 rolls around, the record's not done yet. (laughs) And uh, Arista's finance department was concerned about the bill that Clive and Pete had rung up, making an album that wasn't even finished yet. And they came to learn that the problem was uh, Clive and Pete didn't feel like they had a first single yet. But I have to tell you, the album already had Wyclef, Dave Matthews, Lauren Hill, which Carlos played a guitar on. Miseducational Lauren Hill uh, also made me think we couldn't invite Pras and have all three Fujis on there. Would have been
1: cool. He's <laughs> problematic.
0: Yeah. Pause. Well, these days, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. International espionage and whatnot. Um, yeah. True.
1: I don't, I have not even tried to get my arms around that story. <laughs>
0: I recommend, seems like
1: there's so much going on.
0: I recommend reading the NPR story of when he was convicted. It's just wild. It is. A, that's a whole holiday oh, yeah, podcast. Okay. I, I'm sure there will oh, be a boy. serialized podcast about that. Sure. Uh, Eric Clapton was on it. Everlast was on it. And Everlast was, was huge coming off that oh, solo record after right. House of Pain as a blues man. Um, and they still didn't feel like any of these were the single. So pretty wild to think about. Um, inter-songwriter Ital Shore. are either of you familiar with Ital?
1: I don't uh, think so
0: um, he is an avant-garde jazz pianist who turned into a pop songwriter he had written a hit song for R&B singer Maxwell and Arista was looking to work with him more Ital was a huge Santana fan growing up but he listened to the album and he realized that nothing felt like Black Magic Woman or Oye Como Va two of santana's most iconic singles he went to work on a song with this in mind and over a weekend ended up with a song called room 17 with a latin beat programmed on his casio and Etal playing piano and guitar i read that carlos's guitar like the iconic guitar riff was note for note what Scher had played on his oh, demo wow. i'm i'm sure with some carlos flair um it's Hall finished the demo and told Pete, I have the song, I have the single you're looking for. Pete liked it, but he perceived the song to be about, for lack of a better term, a groupie. And Pete knew that Santana wasn't about this side of the rock star lifestyle. But it's all claims that it wasn't about a groupie. It was about two former lovers rekindling things in a hotel room, and he insisted that it was perfect as is. <laughs> the two guys argued about it, and I gotta tell you, after reading about this song all weekend, it seems like they're still arguing about it as of 2019. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Every article I read that they're both involved in, they, they still don't agree on this. And it, it feels like it's a little heated. Um, I, could, I could sense some real animosity. Um, Pete grew frustrated, said, take the vocals out, give me the track, and I'll find another songwriter to write the melody and lyrics. So I don't think it was only about the lyrics or else they would have kept the melody. Um, I tried so hard to find a demo of room 17. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem to exist. I think it all might be the only person oh, that man. still has it somewhere. somewhere. Yeah, I know. Dave's a powerful man. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it because a lot well, of those, yeah. a lot of these well. demos end up on YouTube or somebody digs them up. They're on Reddit. Um, and I, I couldn't sure. find it. Um oh. Pete called his friend, Evan Lamberg, at EMI Publishing and said, I need someone to help finish this song. Played the song over the phone because he couldn't send an MP3 over email. And Evan said, I have (laughs) just the guy. And now, my friends, Rob Thomas has entered the chat.
1: Okay.
0: Rob Thomas was born in 1972, six months after Santana released Santana 3 in Lonstol, West Germany. He was an army brat. Uh, Dave, you may be aware of some of these things, but I I have to recount some of his life because it is, it's inspiring and unbelievable. And I, I was just, I couldn't stop reading about it. Um, he grew up in what he calls a rather unstable family in Florida. His single mother, he says was a hard partier, frequently had abusive partners and Rob grew up listening to outlaw country like Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash. And he learned to play music on a Casio keyboard. Rob started writing and singing songs, he says to impress girls at first, and he didn't just listen to outlaw music. He himself fell into some legal trouble as a teenager. He served several months in jail for stealing a camaro, supposedly damn when he got out when he got out, he dropped out of high school and was homeless for three years, hitchhiking around the south. He eventually started playing in some cover bands in Orlando, Florida, and was toying around with writing songs, which I just I'm just like. He's just wandering around hitchhiking and then find some cover bands. That's that's pretty incredible. Um, one of the bands booked an ongoing gig playing at a hotel and they got fired for stealing candy and beer from the <laughs> mini bars well, around this time. Rock one and roll, night, baby. Yeah. One night Rob was on acid and he thought dry ice looked fun to play with. He burned his hands so badly that the doctor nearly amputated his hands. He recovered from the injuries and was relieved after thinking he'd never be able to play guitar or keys again. I'm just like, thing wow. after thing, this guy is persevering. God almighty. Um, he decided to take songwriting more seriously and formed a band called Tabitha's Secret. I looked extensively for a reason behind the band name, and I couldn't find that either. But their website is still That's up. It's a secret. It's a secret. Mm-hmm. It's Tabitha's Secret. Uh, I did find their website, which is still up. And it is a fantastic, so like, geo-cities? yes. Geo City. I'm sending it to you now. Oh, you have boy. to see it. It's yeah, so are. good. I think yeah, a fan took it over and runs it now.
2: Oh, this is glorious. And you can download oh, yeah, their original
0: yeah. album on here.
1: <laughs> yes. Yup. It's oh, so good. Wow. Oh, the internet was so ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, takes me back. Wow.
0: It's a, there's a Ooh. lot of great stuff on here. I I did some reading, some digging. There used to be a message board, but it's not there anymore, unfortunately.
1: Ah. Wow. I used to love those old band oh, message I boards. Got- yeah, I for- I forgot also that it was Tabitha's Secret. Oh, the like, album. There's, an, uh, yeah. there's a question mark in the in the I don't know if it's the band name or the album it's the, name. It's it's the what, album but... title. Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot wow. to write that
0: down. I'm glad you mentioned it. It's it's that's Wow. Such a funny thing. That's so weird.
2: Oh, I forgot they were on Aware Records. I forgot about that. Were they that's really? How I, that's, how, yeah, that's how I know them from the Aware.
0: I didn't even know that. Uh, Theo and I both interned at Aware
1: Records <laughs> long ago. Oh, wait. Oh, aware. That was the uh, Columbia kind of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They were indie and then it, ended like up John Mayer Columbia. Columbia. Yep. Yeah.
1: That, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. 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 When- the, the guy from Aware, the guy. Um, some. <laughs> some like PR person at aware in, I guess, 2000, 2000, um, sent me a rough mix of, uh, room for squares, uh, by John Mayer. And I was like, I am obsessed with this artist. (laughs) Like I was like, I don't, cause at the time I probably would have was like 29 and he would have been like 23 or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how can someone so young, Mm-hmm. So much younger than me, six years or whatever it was. Like, like how could how could this person understand <laughs> me? So, uh, like, I, I I was I was so utterly utterly blown away that that I in fact asked for his email, and we were like, I guess he was my other sort of like rock star pen pal <laughs> for like the first six months of I John Mayer's career. Yeah, long emails that I wish I had printed and saved. Man. Yeah, never did it.
0: You know what else is smooth? You know what I'm going to say? It's Dark Matter Coffee. from our friends in Chicago, Illinois. Dark Matter Coffee is making sustainably and ethically sourced coffee that is outstanding. Truly. We drink it every day. We want you to try it on us. So, head to darkmattercoffee.com. Fill up your cart full of all of their wonderful beans. They've got variations, collaborations, different blends, etc. and use wanted to hit cast at checkout. Use the code wanted to hit cast and you can get as many beans you want. Free shipping right to your door. That's from us to you. Check it out. Who else was on Aware? They, they, they had good taste, as I recall. They did. They had. Well, if you
2: want to know the well, the Aware compilations back Th- in the day, those were the
0: yeah, those were the thing.
2: Well, they they weren't just oh, yeah. their artists. They would also it was like Greg's favorite bands. Mm-hmm. And just to give you an idea, on the Aware Three compilation is where you find Fury am by Tabitha Secret. There it is. Uh, also, wow. a couple of Guster songs.
0: Guster was on the label did. when I when I was there, and I okay. love that band.
2: Yeah, me too. Yeah, both of us are huge fans. Yeah. I mean, more more recent, well, more recently, it being like ten years ago, when you had Matt Kearney was there. The mm-hmm. Fray was on their management side. I don't think they were ever on the label. No, but they were there uh, when I was there. God. I mean, there's a ton of great bands. I'm blanking on all the, the uh, five,
0: ones. five for fighting. Yeah. Um, Blue was on was on that label. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of that, like kind of niche. College rock. I think Brandy Carla was there for a oh, bit. Bra- Jack Brandy, obviously. Yeah, the story had just come out, Brandy Carl, when oh. I started there. Um it was a wild time. Uh I didn't even think about aware. Theo, I'm so wow. glad you mentioned this. God, uh, you uh, me back. We're still friends with all those folks and they're they're
1: wonderful. Wow. I love that label.
0: The band was very much in the popular what I'll call the post grunge trend. <laughs> which, uh, for those unaware, pulling elements from grunge, specifically the singing and guitar playing and a little bit of the other instrumentation, but making more adult contemporary-friendly pop rock. Uh, Tabitha's Secret recorded some demos, and 3 a.m. was uh, a song that became a local hit in Florida. And furthermore amazing for our man Rob, it is a song about caring for his mother who was sick with Hodgkin's iPhone. did not know
1: that no idea. Don't play with matches says down Secret. the secret, the secret.
0: this artwork down. is really great
1: it's so good <laughs> oh yeah I think I might prefer this version
0: it's just like it's very
1: cool oh, it is it's it's very you know I get like a uh, you know like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm Driving, uh, I'm on a road trip. I found, like, a college radio station somewhere in Virginia or something. Or an Aware
0: compilation. Or an Aware yeah. compilation. Yeah,
1: yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, God, or, like, yeah, this is on, like, a CMJ uh, yeah. compilation with the magazine totally. or whatever. Mm. Totally. Oh,
2: it's got, like, slight echo in the voice, the little tinginess yeah. of the guitar. Yeah. It really makes it, that like, more mid-90s than later 90s
1: yeah yep. god the, that is totally the sound that I loved to listen to like oh, the yeah. very very tailgate party music <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> uh, that's that is my jam yeah, oh,
0: I yeah I, it, it's funny because I, like I said this this isn't a band that found me but some of the, their peers did for sure but I was listening to punk compilations I was listening to like the Epitaph Records compilations at the time sure. so like I wouldn't have heard them at this level at yeah. that time, but I feel like if I had, it would have made. I would have been like, "Oh yeah, this is yeah. this is cool. This is this cool is for me." Uh, and the production, it like sounds like I'm at their band practice in a good way. Yeah, like I'm just sitting there, like drink drinking a beer, watching them. Like, hey, check out this song, man. Like that's how yeah. I, that recording sounds. Yeah,
1: very very not slick, which I yeah which I love. Yeah, yeah it feels it feels very small town, ta- like band in a small town. Um, a small
0: town that had a local hit um Mm -hmm. so they were being courted for record deals right and they broke up before they could sign oh wow rob and two of the other members of tabitha's secret decide they want to keep playing together and they form matchbox 20
2: is is matchbox 20 in reference to the fact that their album was called don't play with matches
0: i also couldn't find why they're called matchbox 20 (laughs) I didn't spend too much time on it, uh, but I, I did a quick search and I, I couldn't find. Maybe though. I I, that, I, I love that. That'd be in like the, the Tabitha secret cinematic universe.
1: Yeah. You know what? Do you know? Okay. Can we take a break for one? Not even one minute. 30 seconds. Sure. Of course. I, yeah. Because a, I want a real beer now because it's <laughs> it's after five. So I decided <laughs> I'm going to have one. Okay. And and I have a wonderful surprise. So just. Okay. Ooh. All right.
2: I guess I'll grab a real beer too.
0: All right, I'll be here. You still jamming on 3am? Yeah,
2: sounds great. I definitely heard it back in the day on that compilation. But I guess it didn't connect to anything.
0: Yeah. I I love that you thought of the aware thing. That's great. What
1: right, well, knew the name? Was like, this um, is not gonna pay off in a satisfying way at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, I first of all, we have like one beer in the fridge and it's some weird thing that somebody <laughs> left at our pool. And I've been afraid to try it. And the whole point was to have it in my uh, Matchbox 20 beer koozie that I bought at the show. Oh, man. But I can't find it, I think. Uh, <laughs> so never mind. That was a disaster. But, I'm, I'm I'm imagining having, it. but I am having a mischief hoppy Belgian style ale. Let's see what this is. Okay. Well, anyway. Oh, let's see how so, it is. Well, go on. Mm. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Getting back. Matchbox 20 signed to Lava, uh which is subsidiary of Atlantic that I don't believe exists anymore. Uh-huh. Could have been unaware for a minute. We're not sure when they were tapped with the secret. But they're <laughs> definitely on a compilation. Um their 1996 debut album Yourself or Someone Like You was a slow-burning smash. As one of our favorite music journalists on this show, Tom Brahan at Stereo Gum, pointed out in his Eternally Excellent Call him the number ones. Dave, God, I don't know I if you've read so it. Much. Oh, it's so good. Oh,
1: my God. I'm so angry at myself for not coming up with that idea first. But he's <laughs> so much better at it than I would be. Like, it's he's he's so good. We I we talk him. about him
0: a lot, and we'll probably invite him on the show at some point. Oh, no, you must. Uh, you must. Uh, I I bought his book, and it's just just fantastic. He does such great work. Um, mm-hmm. So, obviously, you know, you guys know. We don't have to guess later. The, smooth went to number one mash uh, yeah as he said in in that column uh at at first the matchbox 20 record went nowhere and the band almost lost their contract at lava um i think it said that a 610 copies were sold in the first week which even today is rough going uh and a radio station alabama started playing push so lava decided to make push the single instead of 3 a.m uh, and eventually the, the record was certified diamond. A rare feat. Yeah.
1: Un- this has
2: got to be the first song to ever go number one, go diamond, thanks to an Alabama radio station.
1: That is, <laughs> that, is, is that does seem rare. That yeah. Seem usually,
0: rare. usually it's like K Rock played it or, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It, I, th- I think we go into this in Waiting for Impact, like, uh, uh Nuggets on the Block. Uh, were not blown up because they wanted them, like, they tried to build them as like an R&B group. And then it was a pop station in like Tampa or something started playing one of their songs. I started playing, I think, Please Don't Go Girl. And it was just like, this is, this this is a bunch of young white boys. And like the young girls (laughs) went crazy. And then they blew up. Yeah. But like, yeah. Um, that's nuts. I, and I, and I, um, the 3 AM, the original 3 AM, there, there was something. It, it was similar in vibe to something, and I couldn't place it. And now, Angeline is coming home. Do you remember who that was? I don't think um, so. I don't remember I don't. who sang who, who song that was. Um, but that, it, that very like, um, mid Atlantic sort of college radio. Yeah. Uh, oh, or, the Badleys. The Badleys. That's exactly they, it. Yes.
0: I grew I I grew up in Central Pennsylvania. The Badleys were huge. Okay. That's, that's I think that's their Their stomping ground. I think it's okay. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Wild. Okay. Uh Here, they they were they were always playing everywhere. They were always playing uh, in town. The, them in, them and in fuel before fuel was fuel. <sighs> wow. Yeah.
1: Holy yeah. cow! What mm. a, what what what, what, <laughs> what great moments we've lived through,
0: right? <laughs> what,
1: a, what, a, what a what a what a privilege.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, the album uh, is, is doing very well and Matchbox 20 is celebrating accordingly as new rock stars constantly partying, mm-hmm. mostly boozing and coke. Uh, and Rob, Rob was assuming the role, doing, doing the rock star thing and living the life. And after a while, uh, even on this record cycle, uh, they all realized it was taking a toll on their live show and. They, they looked inward, which not a lot of bands have the opportunity to do, and they made a new rule, no more cocaine. Ooh. And uh, Rob focused on what mattered most, his songwriting and his performances. They scaled back the partying. Rob got in shape. He was named one of People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People. Yeah. And The band continued making hits in the late '90s, early 2000s. To another another thing, our our man Rob persevered.
1: Yeah, uh, pushed through, which
0: not not a lot of folks can say they did. Uh,
1: True, in, in I knew him situation. in the non-coke year, so I'm just gonna go ahead and
0: <laughs> i, I get I'm, out of there. Yeah, I don't think it, it was super long. I think it was like a, uh, from what I read, like, oh my God, we're famous, and then yeah. they're like all right yeah we don't sound good we don't look good let's yeah. uh let's let's, let's let's focus which yeah that's that's a feat that's a feat it is it is um
1: i uh, i seem to also remember Stephen jenkins from third eye blind making a comment about rob thomas's weight in a in an interview which i mean yeah but also yeah. it's like yeah you don't want to get called out like that you know yeah definitely yeah, yeah. he is kind of a dick
0: Matchbox 20's highest charting song, which went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, was 2000's Bent from their second album, Mad Season. I forgot about that. Let's one. check out this video yeah. just for a second. I love this
1: song. Yeah, it's a good. Song. Love this song.
0: That opening guitar
1: riff is great. There it's so go. good. It feels so like a blockbuster single. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. This is like the second album, and it's going to be huge. It felt it felt like a, it felt massive, you know. Like that, there, there was an unassuming quality to the first record, and like the the second was huge.
0: Yeah, because it, it it took a while. Well, it took it took three
1: years to, to come out the new record. So uh, yeah, because the first one was '96. Right? Sorry, four years, almost yeah. four years. I got it. I got the. I got yourself or someone like you. Uh, from... Maybe BMG. Yeah. Uh, and I remember the shipment came and it was that, and uh, uh, Super Duper Fly, oh, yeah,
0: and
1: uh, whatever the Buster Rhymes album's called. Um, Bro- surely something else. Was
0: that... Uh, the one
1: with... Um, going was with, that uh, ELE? Uh, Got You All In Check. No, it was, it was one like before like the first it. big one. Yeah.
0: So yeah, this video uh, is supposedly making fun of Rob's increased fame from Smooth, which is why his bandmates oh. are like shoving him and running him over with their cars. Um, I also felt like it. It was very influenced by The Verbs Bittersweet Symphony, mm-hmm. with him, you know, walking in yeah. slow motion, people running into him. felt Yeah, it felt very similar to that. Um, For sure, I will point out that was their only number one. But several of the hit singles from the first album were not eligible because in the '90s, up until '98, it had to be there had to be a single physically made. In order for right. it to be considered for the Hot 100, so 3AM would have been number right. one. Push would have been number Absolutely. one. Um, yeah, so oh Push
1: was yeah. um, back to good yeah. was on that yeah. album. I think um, another
0: big, a fourth big hit. Oh, that, they're again. they're like or six show. like they used to do just half the record. Uh huh. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, that that album. Oh, Real World.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think they had like Come eight on. official music videos from that record.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally the first six. I mean, songs they didn't need to make were. they didn't
0: need to make a record for four years. They just yeah. kept going, which is incredible. It's yeah, like just, uh, it reminds yeah. me of Green Day Dookie. Like Green Day Dookie, every mm-hmm. song was a single. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Rob, after uh, after this, had a successful solo career for a few years, which was kicked off by his first ever recording under his own name, a feature on Santana Smooth. So let's go Mm -hmm. to 99. Rob was not yet a household name, uh, but Matchbox 20 was. Uh, Rob hadn't put out any solo material yet, and the band was a band. He knew Matchbox 20. Um, I wrote in here, it would be like knowing the Gin Blossoms lead singer's name. Yeah. (laughs) At that (laughs) time. Like, you knew the Gin Blossoms, (laughs) but... Yeah, it was Mm -hmm. kind of that equivalent. Like, Rob just wasn't a star yet. Um, Yeah. Rob was off tour at this time and was spending a lot of time smoking weed and playing PlayStation in his Soho apartment. He shared with his girlfriend, uh, Marisol Marisol. Maldonado, who Mm -hmm. I'm sure Dave knows. Uh, He obviously had some spare time for extracurricular activities at this time. And Arista tapped Rob to help write lyrics and a vocal melody for Smooth but not to perform on the song. Rob says he mostly took the chance because it seemed like the best way to meet Carlos Santana. Yep. (laughs) Uh, He's a huge fan, and they played festivals together, but never got to meet. That concludes part one of our discussion about Smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas. Stay tuned later this week for part two. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. Good luck getting that song out of your head. If you enjoyed the show, please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to. They really help. Tell a friend about the show. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Write a review on your favorite podcast app. And visit our website, ywhpod.com. That's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more. And it all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode. We also want to hear if there's something that we missed. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at YWHpod or directly via email at ywhpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Hair Doctor. We'll see you next time.